and welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you for joining me. One thing making me happy this week, and I know I've been talking a lot about this house and property that we purchased recently, um, but it is kind of like the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, I've mentioned that we have beautiful flower gardens and a rose garden. Um, And honestly, I'm losing track of all the things that I've mentioned. But the exciting thing this week is that there are wine grapes. There are two trellises overflowing with wine grapes. Um, Evidently, the previous owners would make their own small batch wines. Uh, And so yesterday we went out with the girls and harvested our first batch of wine grapes. Um, And we're going to try. I've never made wine before. This is brand new. I've been doing lots of reading and researching. I bought a kit. Um, And (laughs) what the best part is it since we are continuing to homeschool, this is like our chemistry class. Like they're only in third grade, but yeah, let's learn to make wine, right? Why not? Um, So it's been super fun and fingers crossed that it all goes well. I'll keep you posted on how it goes. All right. I'm also so happy to be talking to today's guest. She is a Harvard graduate with degrees in music and East Asian studies and is the best-selling author of the Six Crimson Cranes duology and the Blood of Stars duology, as well as the Disney Twisted Tale books, So This Is Love, When You Wish Upon a Star, and Reflection. Her newest novel, Her Radiant Curse, just came out last month. Please welcome Elizabeth Lim. Hi, Marissa. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? Hi. I'm so happy to be on this um, podcast. It's well-named The Happy Writer. So thank you for having me. I I overheard that you've been growing wine grapes. That's so exciting. My husband um, and I just started a garden. Well, mostly him. And he's been growing a lot of fruits as well. I'll have to tell him about wine grapes, though. Sounds like a really good idea. I love it. I'm really excited that we just bought this house and moved in a few months ago. So they were like just there and ready to go. I understand it's quite a process if you're starting from nothing to have to like Mm -hmm. grow them and it takes a long time for them to mature and to produce. So it felt like such a gift. Like, look, there's grapes and they're like ready to be turned into wine. I'm so excited. Yeah, that's such a boon. We we have we have not been going anywhere near wine grapes. We're just starting out with like tomatoes and string beans, like fast growing things. But it's so it's so rewarding to eat your own produce at home. Like it feels, it feels very farm to table, except farm to home. I guess. Absolutely. No. And we, it's been a couple of years. We did a lot of vegetable gardening when the girls were little and it was such a joy to watch them in the garden and they would just pick a cherry tomato and pop it in their mouth or, you know, pick some, some beans and they peel open the shells. And I mean, it was just a, a joy. And Obviously, we're always trying to get kids to eat their vegetables. And it really is one of those things where, like, if they can see how it's been grown and they can just walk through the garden and eat it, it helps a lot. Yeah, I think so. And and if anything, at least it teaches them more about the world. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it, it's it's like a science lesson. It is. Everything in my mind is somehow related back to homeschooling. <laughs> so I'm like, it counts. It counts, doesn't it? <laughs> Definitely. All right. I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, When I was 
researching you, looking up your bio this morning, getting ready to talk to you, uh, noticed that you and I have something in common that we both wrote Sailor Moon fan fiction. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I love this. And I am surprised sort of how often Sailor Moon comes up when I'm talking to authors uh, on this podcast. It is absolutely one of those things that just like stoked the creativity for so many people from our generation. So I'm always really excited to meet another Mooney. Yes, I love Sailor Moon. I still, so she has such a big place in my heart. And I feel like she's having this moment too, where she's getting a lot of revivals. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you ever post your fanfics? Oh yeah, no, I was. Yeah, me too. Although, (laughs) where, where did you post yours? I did a Sailor Moon romance. Yes, oh, you're old school. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I was also on a Sailor the Moon romance. That's that was so my fun. favorite site. Oh my goodness. I was obsessed when I first discovered it because I was like in early high school. Um, yeah, and I'd never even heard of fan fiction. Like I had no idea this was a thing. And then a friend of me sent me a, a friend of mine sent me a link a link to Sailor Moon romance. And it was just like the best thing I'd ever found. And I Oh my gosh, I loved it. It was so great to have that community and to have a place to like post my stories that I was just putting in my little notebooks at that point and ugh, memories. Yeah, it was a great community. I, I went back to the site a few years ago and I think it's defunct now, which made me really sad. Yeah, no, I didn't think it was still around. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people moved to fanfiction.net, which I did as well. Okay, um, I and did. then of course, in it's the years since then, there's been all sorts of other sites that have popped up. Um, but no, I don't. Yeah, a Sailor Moon romance, it's a thing of the past, which is why when somebody <laughs> knows what it is, it's like, yes, you were yes. there too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I miss I miss those days. It was so yeah. fun. Uh, <laughs> me too. All right. So with that, um, the first question I want to ask you is about your author origin story and how you became a published author. Obviously, going all the way back to Sailor Moon way back in the day. Um, but then what happened after that? So actually, the Sailor Moon fanfics were a big part of it. That was the first time that I ever um, had the courage to post anything online and get like feedback from people because actually I I did not want to become an author when I was when I was growing up. I really I always loved writing and I loved writing stories, but I was a very serious musician ever since I was like five or so. I wanted to become a composer. So um, my dream was to write music for movies and video games. And um, because of that, I thought in order to like work on my craft, I should also write stories because I thought like stories would teach me narrative and I could write music for the stories I wrote like back and forth. Um, And so that was how I got into creative writing and partly how I got into Sailor Moon. And from there, like I just kept writing on the side, like writing stories for myself, uh, taking creative writing classes in school um, occasionally. And, but then um, when I was in grad school for music, I was taking a class where I had, I got to write some opera scenes and I, I realized that it might be really cool to just like write my own libretto which is the the story for the opera my own text um so from there like I remembered how much I'd loved writing when I was in middle school and high school and I decided to embark on writing a novel and that kind of started that started the um the spark I guess for writing and I just couldn't get enough and I tried to get published and it took a really long time um but I 
I kept going back and like thinking, oh, I, every time I did, I wanted to quit, I missed it. So I kept trying harder and harder. And then like fast forward, I don't know, 10 years or so. And here I am. It's kind of crazy. So, so you mentioned fast forwarding 10 years and that it took a really long time. Um, so was it like 10 years from the moment you were like, let's try writing a novel up to the point the first book sold or like, what's that timeline? So it's a little hard to say because, um, like I did take a couple of years off from writing. I, I started off writing, um, women's fiction. I was actually writing a book that was not autobiographical, but it was sort of, it had a lot of, um, it, it had a lot of inspiration for my own life. It was about a composer in New York and like all the, the wild jaunts that she encounters in the classical music world. Mm. Um, and from there, like I, I managed to get an agent, but our, my book didn't sell. So, um, a lot of the feedback that I got actually was really interesting. One of the editors said that I might want to to try writing for young adult because my voice sounded a little younger. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So I was like, okay, that that's a lot, that's really good advice. And it was something to consider, but I was also in the middle of grad school at the time. So, um, I kept writing for myself, um, to work on the craft and to like explore writing young adult, but I didn't really pursue, I didn't really want to pursue publishing anymore. Cause I felt like I was at a crossroads and I needed to pick either music or writing. So I decided to go with music. And then like fast forward a couple of years, I found that I still really missed writing. And so I gave it another shot and wrote a couple more manuscripts. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I guess like it would be 10 years from when I wrote that first novel to my debut. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a reader of YA when you started writing in it or was it like, so, they've told me I should try YA. I'd better learn something about that. <laughs> Growing up, YA didn't really exist. I, um, yeah, right. Yeah, it didn't exist. There was only children's or adult. And I, I felt pretty, like, I, I read both. I read a ton from both children, children fantasy, and um, adult fantasy. Those were actually my favorite genres. So it was it's interesting to me that my first book I wrote was contemporary, like, chiclet. But then going into young adult fantasy just felt very natural, um, even though it was very different from what I had initially written. Um, because I was like, oh, I'm writing the stories that I used to read when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I did try to immerse myself in the genre to know what was, what was popular at the time. Um, but I like one of my philosophies for writing has always been to write what I wanted to read when I was a teen. So, um, it took me a while to figure out that was what I should be writing. But once I did, like things became much more natural and and much more fun on the writing side. Mm. It's always good when it becomes more fun. I feel like that's the moment yeah. when it clicks. Yeah, exactly. So it took me like quite a few manuscripts to figure that out. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then I'm really curious too, with music kind of being your first choice and you obviously you know, are very educated in, in music and knowledgeable about music. Uh, and did, did you actually work as a composer? Did I read that somewhere? I did. Yeah. So when I was in grad school, um, I did work as a music composer. I did a lot of freelancing for, um, 
for like independent films and video games. And I did eventually end up working at, it's kind of funny. I ended up working at a casino company, um, writing music for their games, like a mobile casino company. It was, it was actually interesting. Yeah, it was really cool. Like it was a real corporate job actually. And they had all of us composers in a separate office and we would work with the, with the like game designers. And it it was, it was very eye opening and I loved the experience. so, so yeah, that was, that was very cool. Yeah. So now how does, does music influence your writing? Like, does it play a part in your process at all? I don't think about it. Um, I don't think about music per se when I start writing, like, but I, it is in the back of my mind, like the way I approach writing a book is very similar to the way I used to approach writing a piece of music. So, um, it, they're just different mediums. I actually think I use the same part of the brain, um, to compose music as I do for writing, writing words, but it's like, because there's a structure, there's the rhythm of the, of words and like cadences and there's themes. And instead of characters, um, in music, I, I would think of like melodies that would be developed and the characters would be developed at the same time. Um, and a big one though, actually, that I found has helped me as a writer is the, um, I tried to study a lot of musical form um, just to like structure a piece. So that's helped a lot. I find it actually easier in writing books to to think about form and structure than I did in music. Cause it's a bit more tangible when you're talking about like characters and a world that exists um, and like dialogue and the motives and desires of a character and like antagonists. There's a bit the the, I feel like the pieces in a book are a bit more, they're, they're a bit easier to, to mold. Yeah. Than, yeah. How interesting. <laughs> Do you like when you're writing a book, do you have ideas in your head of like what a character's theme song would be? Or like if you're writing an action scene, do you like hear how that would be composed if it were like adapted to film? Like, does any of that play a part for you? It hasn't done. I haven't done that recently, but um, when I was a bit younger and had more time, I did actually sit down to compose theme songs for my characters. Um, And I found that that really helped me at least become more emotionally attached to them. I think mm-hmm. now when I'm writing, um, I think more about the rhythm and pacing of, um, of my words, as opposed to like melodies and harmonies. Um, and I think that's helped, helped me mature a bit. It, mm-hmm. It's actually interesting because I feel like rhythm and pacing were my weaknesses as a composer. And they're things that I try to focus on a lot more as a writer. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and I'm just curious because I do not have a music background. Um, very like I sort of dabble in the ukulele. Um, oh, <laughs> and that. that's like the extent. Um, and and so I just think that's interesting. But I know, you know, some writers who are also like really talented illustrators might mm-hmm. um draw their characters or might draw um, you know, a setting or things like this. And I just think it's really cool when people have other artistic talents that kind of tie into the the creative process. Yeah. Oh gosh. I wish I could draw. I, I think the closest that I do is a Pinterest board. Me and, too. <laughs> yeah. It is so fun. <laughs> yes. No, I love it. I love it when I find something that another artist has created that feels like it came right out of my brain. <laughs> like, that's, exactly. what, that's what I was seeing. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's a, like a little bit of magic and, and serendipity because you're just like, oh, that's exactly what I was looking for. Completely. Completely. <laughs> okay. Um, with that, would you please tell listeners about your newest book? What is Her Radiant Curse about? So Her Radiant Curse is the prequel to uh, my Six Crimson Cranes duology. And it's about, it's it can be summed up as Beauty and the Beast, but as sisters. So it's about two sisters. One is cursed to have the face of a serpent and one who is very beautiful and glows with like a divine light. And um, there's a curse that's been placed on them and um, they have to break it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mentioned before we started um, this recording, this is the first book of yours that I have read, um, but I loved it. And I now can't wait to go read everything you've done. Uh, I did not realize that it was a prequel. And so that maybe answers my first question, but maybe not. um, Because without spoiling anything, there is a character that I am dying to know what becomes of them. And, you know, the book itself has a very like satisfying, well-rounded ending, but it feels like there could be so much more afterwards. So is there more coming? Is this the first of a series or do I need to go read one of the other series to find out what happens? <laughs> so Her Radiant Curse is a standalone. I'm not planning any more books after it, but um, the six Crimson Cranes duology is completed. And um, the main character in Her Radiant Curse plays a very significant character in the in that duology. Um, so... I mean, it's not really, I, it's not really a huge spoiler. So I'll just say um, the Six Crimson Cranes uh, book is a retelling of a reimagining of the Wild Swans fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen. It's always been one of my favorite fairy tales. Uh, it's about a princess whose six brothers are turned into swans, but cranes in this instance, and she has to break the curse. The antagonist who curses them is her stepmother the queen and her radiant curse is about the stepmother as a young girl omg that is so cool i had no idea i'm so excited to go read that series and like over the moon to know that it is completed and out and i don't have to wait a year yeah it's done that is the best news (laughs) thanks Um, okay. So, and I also love that you are, you're taking, um, stories and fairy tales. I of course am am a a retelling nut. Yes. Um, I love that we've got the six, uh, swans fairy tale. Um, this book, her radiant curse, uh, kind of harkens to Helen of Troy a little bit. So a little bit of Greek mythology going on. Um, but you're combining it with this very, lush and a beautiful world kind of inspired by um east asian mythology am i yeah yes yeah. i i love combining um western fairy tales with east asian folklore and myth that's kind of been something that i've done in most of my books so um yeah combining like elements of helen of troy with um chinese the there's a few chinese stories that i embedded in heredian curse like uh, madam white snake which is mm a fairy tale about um, a snake spirit who becomes human and falls in love. And then like all sorts of cahoots like happen. Um, And then uh, there's, there's the princess of Mount Ladang, which is a Southeast Asian fairy tale, um, which is very similar to Helen of Troy actually, but it's about a princess who 
who's who is sought by numerous kings and princes across across the land but um unlike the story of Helen of Troy she is the one who gives the suitors these conditions these trials they're like she so she tells them if you want to marry me this is what you have to do mm-hmm. and um it's a very interesting and rich tale and I I've always loved it because it just it empowers the female a lot more than the Helen of Troy, um, the history of Helen of Troy. So, (laughs) so let's talk about world building. Um, what, what are some of your steps when you're creating a world? Because this world feels very expansive. And I suspect that that has to do with the fact that you already have a duology, um, set in this world. Like it Mm -hmm. felt very, like I've just been dropped into something vast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so how do you go about just getting started in your world building? I I love this question because I think, let's see, I try to start out small. Um, I try to start out with the small things in this world. So, um, music is obviously something that I think about a lot when I'm writing and creating a world. So uh, I try to imagine the music that would belong to this world. The food is a huge one. Um, and then like the clothing that people wear. And then from there, like I sort of build my way up into the larger gaze of this universe that I'm creating. And you're right, because I have had this duology, like it's been uh, it's, uh, cheating a little bit with her radiant curse. Cause, um, Chinese world is just a part of this larger universe, but it is a different country in in the overall map. And this world is very much influenced by Southeast Asia um, and Malaysia specifically, because my family is half my family is from Malaysia. So I try to incorporate a lot of like things from my childhood memories regarding the food and the food and the clothing and, and, um, the traditions and culture. And so that helps, but there's always magic, which is, uh, which is a fun little touch as well. There's always magic. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems like a lot of the magic, um, is coming from some of these, uh, folklores that you're drawing on. How much Mm -hmm. do you, uh, research and when do you decide to just start making up your own stuff? So yeah, uh, that balance was something that I struggled a lot with the first book that I work um, worked on in this series because it is tough when you're drawing upon like a real culture, um, like whether you stay true and especially like you're like oh my gosh, like how authentic should I be? But you know, I um. When I was writing my first book, Spin the Dawn, um, the main character is a seamstress and the world is inspired by ancient China. And I just, I spent days just agonizing over the fact that there was no knitting in ancient China. And then I realized, you know, this is a fantasy book. It's okay. There, no one's going to get on my case that I'm being a little bit inaccurate. And (laughs) so from there, I just, you know, I try to stay true to the story and to the characters that I'm writing and, um, and recognize that this is a world that I'm creating from scratch and it's not entirely 100% based on history and fact, because I mean, like, I don't, I mean, dragons might exist, but (laughs) so far that we know they do not. (laughs) So, yeah. Did you, so, so out of curiosity, did anybody ever get on your case about the inaccuracy that there was no knitting in ancient China? No, no one has got, gotten on my case about that, which is I, I'm very grateful for. Yeah. 
No, because I do think that that is something that that writers really struggle with, you know, the the question of how authentic and how much you stick to the truth. Um, but it's so important to keep in mind that we are writing fantasy, not historical. They are two exactly. very different genres. Yeah. 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 All right. So I have to say, so I was writing or sorry, I was reading this book, Her Radiant Curse, um, while I was on a writing retreat with some other writers. And at one point, my roommate asked, oh, how are you liking the book? And I was maybe like 100 pages into it at that point. And I said, I'm absolutely loving it, in part because this book has surprised me at least five or six times in the first 100 pages. And that just does not happen all that often. It's very rare for a book to just continuously throw me off course. Like, wow, (laughs) I did not see that coming again. Uh, so I was very impressed with it on that level um, uh-huh. and makes me question your your process when it comes to to plotting and coming up with the twists and the surprises. Like, are you a pantser, a plotter? Just talk me through your process a little bit. Okay. So uh, it's, I'm, I'm very honored to hear that you were, you were thrown off course by this book. I think Partially, um, this book has been special to me because I actually began writing it before Six Crimson Cranes, and I put it aside because um, once I once I realized that I was writing a prequel, I thought it would make a lot more sense to write the the meat of the story first before pitching it to my editor. Um, but because of that, though, when I came back to writing this book, I wasn't sure whether it would ever be published. Um, so um, in a way, because of that, I felt like I could take more risks, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, partially, like a lot of it, I was writing for myself and I was writing it to get to know the character Chani better because she plays such a significant role in Six Crimes and Cranes. And I was like, well, I don't know if it's ever going to be published, so I can just do like crazy things. Um, <laughs> and I rewrote this book so many times um, because... Again, like things changed after I wrote Six Terms and Cranes and I needed to make the two work together Mm -hmm. Um, that I did end up initially I pantsed a lot, but having as with each book that I write um, and with more experience I gain as a writer, I find that I much prefer to plot. Um, so with this book, it was harder to do because I had already written a lot of it. So I just had to just take it apart and then replot it. And it, it took a lot of work. Sorry if I'm being roundabout with my answer. Yeah, but no, it, no, that makes sense. It, I felt like a seamstress in, in that I just could kind of had to tear it apart and stitch it back together again. Yeah. Do you, how do I ask this? Um, like, are there par- times when you're writing, when you feel like, I don't know. This scene just really needs a wrench thrown into it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not really sure how to. <laughs> I was just so impressed. There were so many times where I was like, wow, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes I feel like if I'm bored writing a scene, that's just a sign that it's not working. Mm-hmm. And so it just needs to be redone or it needs to be deleted. Um, and I find that I, I'm not the best at talking about how I work because <laughs> it's kind of a vague, I'm not even honestly sure what I'm trying to ask you other than like, just tell me your secrets, Elizabeth. I am ready to learn. 
<laughs> no, no, I should be the one asking you. Um, but there's this great quote that um, we used to say in music a lot that like talking about music is like dancing about architecture. And I feel that way about writing though, even though it's kind of ironic because as a writer, you just, you're dealing with words and words are your weapons. Um, but I find it hard to talk about my writing sometimes. Cause I like, honestly, for 99% of the process, I just feel like I'm writing garbage. And mm. <laughs> somehow in the last 1% as I'm editing, or maybe, okay, maybe it's a little more than 1%, but at, towards the end, finally things start to come together. And I think a lot of it is just, a lot of it is just like stitch by stitch, things are starting to come together. And then there's also an element of serendipity too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you feel the same, but. Absolutely. Uh, no, I'm constantly just like in doubt of every book and every chapter and every character. Yeah, <laughs> like, me too. <laughs> um, which actually, because this is so universal, I think, writers, we we are plagued by these feelings of inadequacy and like, oh yeah, I wrote books before, but I, I have no idea how I did that. And clearly this one is junk and um, that's just so, so universal. So when, for you, when you were in the process of writing and you're halfway through a draft and you've got all those thoughts in your head, like, oh, this is awful. What am I doing? I'm how, how did I ever manage to do this before? Uh, what are some things you do to kind of work through that? So what I like to do, what I've been doing, at least for all the books that I've written is, um, I try to make my first chapter very polished. Um, and because I draft very messily so that I have, when I have that first chapter, very polished, like I know that I'm excited about this story. And when I, when, and when I start to draft later in the book and things start to get, um, like dysfunctional and not make any sense, I go back to that first chapter to remind myself of the potential that this book has. <laughs> and I think that keeps me on track and it gives me hope that that I can fix the rest of the book to be as sparkly as that first chapter. <laughs> I love that. What a great technique. Yeah, it's worked for me so far. Although sometimes I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. It's a marathon. I, I Writing is a marathon. <laughs> It really is. No. And there are ups and downs. Um, and we just have to expect that. And I do feel like this many books into my career, at least I know that this is normal. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I remember the early days and like, oh, how does anybody ever get through their first manuscript? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think I'm reaching the point at least I'm reaching the point now where I have like all these texts to my husband on my phone, um, where I'm at this stage and I'm like, Oh, I hate this book. Like, I'm never going to finish it. Everyone's going to hate it. And then my husband will just like pluck those texts from a book before and be like, ah, this is where you are. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds familiar. <laughs> um, okay. So one other thing I did want to cover with, uh, her radiant curse is that it's a sister story. Um, there, there's a little bit of romance, but definitely the focus is on the relationship between these two sisters. And I know I've been getting more and more requests from readers um, to have more sister relationships. And I don't know if it's just left over from the frozen love or where this mm. is really coming from. Um, but I think that there is a a craving for it in, in our readers right now. So for you, like, why do you feel or why did you feel drawn to do a sister story? Oh, that's a really good question. I My previous books all 
focused on the relationship between my main character and her brothers. Mm -hmm. And in real life, I actually don't have any brothers. Um, I had, uh, I have a sister myself and my relationship with my sister, I felt has always been really special. She's um, 10 years younger than I am. My, my parents were done um, with me. They didn't want any (laughs) more children. (laughs) And I just, I kind of guilted them into having another child because I was just so lonely. I was very shy. (laughs) It took 10 years. Um, I was just very shy and like very shy at school was not like um, an extrovert. And I was like, I just want a sister. You know, if I have a sister, she'll be my best friend and that's all I need. And um, so I just like had these, this 10 years of yearning. I really wanted to write, uh, like, obviously my sister and I are nothing like Chani and Vana. But I wanted to write a sister's story and I wanted to show the, um, to delve into like how close these two sisters could be, but also explore the the imperfections in their relationship. Um, Because while my sister and I are very close, of course, we always fight too. Um, But in the end, like we're, we're bonded by like our, our um, closeness together and having grown up together. And um, that's unbreakable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed it. Um, it felt different from what uh, we're seeing a lot of in YA these days. Um, but it was it was a fun kind of take on Beauty and the Beast, like you mentioned, the one that's so beautiful and the one that's so hideous. Uh, and and seeing them kind of how they played off of each other was really great. I was wondering because both sisters are so integral to the story. Did you always know it was going to be from Chani's point of view or did, was there ever a time when you were like, hmm, maybe a dual point of view or what was that decision-making process? Early on, one of my critique partners had suggested that I write some chapters from Vanna's point of view and I tried it out. I thought it was a really good suggestion and I was very intrigued by it and I tried it out, but it just, it didn't feel it didn't, it didn't flow as well, um, without giving too much away, like Vana, part of Vana's beauty is, um, it relies on the fact that she has this like golden divine light in her. So she can be a bit unreliable in that she has this ability to sort of manipulate other people into thinking what she wants and doing what she wants. And as a narrator, it just, it was actually less compelling to write about her since she was so powerful and um, didn't show her vulnerabilities as much as Chani did. Mm. So I wanted to, I ended up just scrapping those chapters and going back to Chani. Yeah. No, that's interesting because I do think that so much of what makes readers really connect with a character are those vulnerabilities. Like Mm -hmm. we're always kind of looking to see like, okay, this is the protagonist, but what makes them like me? Yeah. Um, Tani was just always uh, a very interesting and intriguing character for me to explore because she is so much more, she's, I I don't really want to say morally gray, but she's not like the best of human beings. And she has, she is, she's very tough externally, but mm-hmm. inside she has so many, so many broken bits of her um, that you just want to give her a hug. <laughs> I, I, I just want to give her a hug. I'm like, it's oh, absolutely. No, my heart goes off to this poor girl. <laughs> She's been through <laughs> so much. Yeah. Um, all right. And then just real quickly to kind of change course a little bit. Um, I have to ask about the Disney's twisted tales, um, because it's so cool that you have written not one, but three of them. 
How did that come about? Yeah. So I, um, my, oh, so hey, me backing up. I was working on, <laughs> I was working on my book, Spin the Dawn, which is, uh, which my publisher likes to uh, say is like a Mulan meets Project Runway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because the main character, um, disguises herself as a man to entering, to enter a tailoring competition. So I had a lot of Mulan, um, experience. I, I was, I was, I had, I was working on a book that was very similar to Mulan in this regard. And when my agent found out that Disney was looking for someone to write a Mulan twisted tale. So again, it was like a lot of serendipity. Um, she was like, Oh, she told me about the opportunity. And she said, do you want to try, do you want to try out to try for this? And so, um, we sent an excerpt of spin the dawn to Disney and, um, from there, that was kind of how it, it happened. They became interested and, um, and yeah, like I've always loved Disney. So I was very keen and I think my enthusiasm helped. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I'm a big Disney girl. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite, um, Disney movie? Oh, probably Tangled. Oh, I love Tangled. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but like for the longest time, it was the little mermaid, um, was the one that really hooked me as a kid. Yeah. That yeah, came out but, probably like around our time, I guess. Yeah, no, I was, I think five when it came mm-hmm. out. But no, I mean, I, I I love so many of the movies, but also just like the experience of the parks. And I mean, it's just a fantasy that they've built. Yeah, it is. The, and the happily ever after. It's, it's very similar to romance novels, I find. Like it's just the, the feeling of everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be happily ever after. And it's, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And for the most part, I mean, there's a lot of times in writing and for me, planning stories that I kind of find myself going back to that place of being a kid or a young adult and thinking like, okay, how did the Disney movies make me feel? Like this Mm -hmm. is the same sort of vibe that I'm trying to capture. I want my readers to come away with that same sense of you know, romance and possibility and happily ever after and, and all of that. So I do find myself thinking about that. Yeah, me too. I love, I was actually watching Milan with my kids yesterday and I was still tearing up at all the same spots that I did when I was younger. And so it was, it was magical. They really do just get you. So yeah. All right. Elizabeth, are you ready for our bonus round? Yes, I am. (laughs) What book makes you happy? Oh my gosh. Um, I think I'm going back to one of the books that I first read when I was a kid that made me realize how much I love reading. And I always say Ella Enchanted, Mm. um, just going back to my love for fairy tales and, uh, the, the magic in it and like giving a spin to a classic story is always something that I love. Yeah. No, that one, that one is one of mine as well. Oh, (laughs) yay. What are you working on next? So I'm working on another book set in the universe, which is more of a a more faithful Beauty and the Beast reimagining. And yeah, so that, that it hasn't been announced yet because I'm still trying to figure out a title. I'm really, really horrible with titles. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am excited. Love Beauty and the Beast. Lastly, where can people find you? Oh, I am online, mostly on Instagram. I make the occasional TikTok video, but it's rare. And I have my website, which is elizabethlim.com. And oh, my Instagram handle is Olympics, which is a play on Olympics. It's E <laughs> it's E-L-I-M-P-I-X. Yeah. Awesome. Elizabeth, thank yeah. you for joining me. Thanks, Marissa. It was a lot of fun. 
Readers, definitely check out Her Radiant Curse. It is available now. Of course, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore, but if you don't have one, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. And don't forget that we now do have merchandise for all of your back-to-school needs. Uh, you can find us on Etsy, Instagram, and TeePublic. Next week, I will be talking with Kavion Lewis about her contemporary suspense heist novel, Thieves Gambit. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay inspired, keep writing, and whatever life throws you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.